Welcome to the Top Order podcast. Happy level two to all the Aucklanders. We're back out of lockdown, 100 people at gatherings. It's going to help crowds um, at domestic cricket, no doubt, with that limit. Um, we are going to talk a lot of cricket in this podcast. We've obviously got the Indian Premier League going on in the biosecure bubbles of Sharjah, Abu Dhabi and Dubai. We talk some glory for Baldy, Australia, England, one day series wrap up, women's cricket, bio bubbles and everything else in between. All coming up on this episode of the Top Order podcast. Bordy, so I'm going to start with you. Australia, something to crow about in the one-day game. Well, just Australia and England wrapping up that one-day series with a deciding match. Really, Australia were in a lot of trouble again at, what was it, 70 for five, chasing 302 from England. And if it wasn't for the guys that we were maybe a little bit doubtful about going into <laughs> you, the match. You, you were a little yeah. bit doubtful. A little about. bit doubtful about. I mean, I, I need to I need to make a public apology first to Mitchell Marsh for some criticism of him earlier who had a fine series and also Alex Carey with his back to the wall. And, and it wasn't just me. There have been a number of Australian cricket pundits that were starting to make some, um, some rumblings around his form and, and his place in the side. A spectacular innings from him and an even better innings from Maxwell to bring Australia to the verge of victory and then uh, some some reasonable hitting from Stark in the last over to get us home. But that was a really fantastic series of cricket. I know not a lot riding on it other than the new Cricket World Series Challenge points system that goes along with it, but it was great to see both sides have a really good series. And in, and in the end, it was, what, 2-1 to England in the T20s and 2-1 to Australia in the one days. Yeah, I was actually really disappointed. Those two, I watched a lot of that game, and those two batted really well, but didn't finish it off. Mm. And they did; they did almost double stumble towards the end of that, um, towards the end of that chase. But I, I, the main thing I took away from that was that Australia's batting lineup is so long that when they got themselves into that problem, seventy-three for five or whatever it was, they were able to dig out and chase almost what six a, six and over for the mm. rest of that. Games. And Maybe I've got the rose-tinted purist glasses on when I make this comment, but is that not just a little bit the way the one-day game and the white ball game is played now? Teams just absolutely go for it, and they know that they've got that tail to come in. You know, In the olden days, if you left it run a ball to your 7, 8, 9, uh, 10 jack, that was game on, you know, that that was back to even Stevens. But now even chasing tens with three or four wickets in hand for four or five overs, it's like, nah, home and host, turn it off, What you know, watch, watch a soap opera. I think England are a much better position than most sides to be able to cope with that because we saw in that series Curran, even Adil Rashid, Chris Wokes batting at seven or eight were able to really do the job for England. And they won games when those guys were able to go big at the end. That was one of the concerns I had with Australia's performance overall is going into the World Cup in what a year's time or the T20 World Cup, who's going to bowl at the death for Australia? Because we didn't really find an answer for that. Um, Hazelwood was great up front. Cummins went... Not Adil Rashid would, not, be, my, would be my call. Um but yeah, so that's that's one question that Australia have going into you know this next little period of time leading into the T Twenty World Cup, the, the One Day World Cup in a couple of years, as well as some of that consistency with their batting. For the Kiwis, who's learnt the most out of this series? Like, it's difficult for Bordy and I maybe to be super objective because we'll always sort of defer to the fact that we're terrible and and you know we really need a rebuild. But if you're looking, I know it's a long way ahead for the next fifty over World Cup, but. 
you know, who's got more sort of problems, England or Australia, and, and who's learnt the most from the series, do you think? Oh, I was going to bring that up in the sense of I think we're going to have to get used to as fans and as, I guess, cricketing nations that these next few, maybe even next couple of years, are going to be a bit like this in terms of our series, that we're going to get these little short series I know, you know, even New Zealand summer, we've got five T20s planned against Australia. Australia's going to come here for that. Are we going to learn anything from that? Who knows, you know? And and I think we're going to have to accept that all of these countries are going to have players playing all around the world and, and doing their little bits and pieces. And, and you're going to have to be able, to, it's going to be a real art for the coaches, I think, to be able to just bring them back together and go, okay, now we're playing for this. We're targeting this point. There's not, so, not going to be so much build-up for a tournament and learning stuff. I agree, and I think one of the things Australia got right in this series was making sure that Maxwell's role was clear. So he spoke after the series about one playing with freedom, even at 70 for five, knowing that he can take a risk and that he felt free to do that. And he spoke a lot about the relationship he's now got with Aaron Finch, the captain, about being able to understand his role in the team and where he fits. So coaching becomes really important, like you say, to be able to make sure that everyone's role in the team is really, really clear. And if you've got really, really big squads, it's got to be a next man up mentality like you've got with basketball or something like that. We've already seen injuries in the IPL. It's just going to be a fact of life now that it's going to have to be next man up for these guys. Yeah, and I, when you say what have, have these team teams learnt, I think England will have a lot of questions that came out of that. There probably would have been a questions that, some, some questions that were answered, but things like maybe a bit of an over-reliance on Ben Stokes. They were missing a bit of him with his bowling, his batting, maybe his leadership as well on the field in certain situations. You mentioned Rashid bowling that last over. I don't know what they're going to do in terms of are they putting their best one-day side on the field in that situation or the current COVID situation that they have. I feel like it was Australia's best side. They've got a couple of questions in the middle of the middle of the batting and a little bit of their bowling. But I don't know if England, handicapped isn't the right word, but put themselves in, into a situation where they had the one-day bubble, they had the red ball bubble, and maybe they couldn't, they didn't cross over as well as they could have for future series. Yeah, look, to be honest, if I go down that route, it sounds like I'm making excuses and I, I don't want to do that. There's obviously a couple of guys that you would think are going to be in that side. You know, Stokes for sure is going to be in that 50 over side when he's fit and, and, and available. But, you know, we've given an opportunity to Billings. We've given an opportunity to Tom Banton. We've mixed the bowling round a little bit, but the core guys were there. You know, Joffre was there. Chris Jordan was there. Tom Curran, who they like a lot, was there. Sam Curran got a gig, which I thought was, you know, was, was really good. Mm. Um but look, I think obviously it's such a long time now until this next um, World Cup, but you've got to qualify for it. So teams are going to have to make sure they do enough. I wouldn't have thought too many of the bigger nations are going to be too worried at the moment, but you don't want to get to the stage where all of a sudden you've got two or three must-win series leading mm. into the next 50-over World Cup, do you? I guess the, the other thing for me that I was going to mention around that is England were in a worse position at the end of the last World Cup than they are now and they built to where they got so they've they've where they got to so they've they've got form for it I, if i was an english fan i wouldn't be disheartened by what is it? i think it was the first odi series loss at home mm. since 2015 since yep. 2015 so time. i wouldn't be disheartened by that they've got form to to win it all no there's plenty to like for that england side and really only other than liam plunkett who was in that world cup squad that is now probably not going to be selected for england again you'd think most of those guys will go to the next world cup yeah i mean owen morgan 
yeah, four close. years, three years is a, is a mm. long, long time. But um, if he passes the baton on to um, a Ben Stokes or a, a, Joss, a Joss Butler, then that's pretty good. Liam Plunkett's going to play for the USA, apparently. Yeah, he's is he really? Oh, yeah. wow. Well, oh, he's, he's certainly said he's going to explore it. His wife is a... Uh, uh, an American, and I think he's going to spend some time, um, some time over there. But the guys got out of the canary yellow and the lovely powder blue, and into the hazmat suits and off to the IPL, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But we also want to cover some other goings on in the world of cricket. Bordy, women's game, give us a little bit of a, a steer on what's going on. Yeah. So, in all the talk that we've had around men's cricket recently, it was it was great to see England and West Indies. Uh, play a game last night and who can forget Austria Germany kicked off women's international cricket in August but really I wanted to just touch on Andrew McGlashan's article for Crick Info it's a really good article for anyone who's interested in the state of the women's game around the world and I just wanted to wrap up a couple of key points from that article and you can almost classify all of the nations in the in the world of women's cricket into kind of three segments a bunch of nations are okay for now in the women's game. The state of the women's game is okay. We've got a number of different nations where it's kind of murky and we're just unsure what's going on. And then a couple of nations that are really struggling to get the women's game up and running again. So bear with me for a couple of moments while I walk through them. Um, in Australia, England and New Zealand, it feels like the women's game is poised pretty well to, to cope with COVID. Of course, Australia will play New Zealand uh, coming up in Brisbane and all of the WBBL will go ahead and that's going to all be in played in Sydney. So Australia's game financially and in terms of the cricket schedule is looking pretty good. Uh, we're hoping that England and India tours will go ahead in the new year, but they're still up in the air. But financially, Australia is in a reasonably good spot. I've got to give kudos to the England Cricket Board for getting... Um, the women's game up and running and making sure that in all of the efforts to get the biosecure bubbles going for the men's game that the women weren't neglected in the restart. So they're now playing the West Indies in a series. Um, they've also offered to foot, foot the cost of the India tour to England that didn't go ahead or at least a substantial portion of that. So we've really got to give the ECB credit there for making sure that they're looking after the women's game as well. Um, and their, their local domestic cr cricket competition is going ahead as well before some of their players fly to Australia for the WBBL. So the state of the game in England is looking pretty good. Likewise, New Zealand. So we've got the Super Smash for women down here at towards the end of this year, early next year, which is great. Um, and we're also playing Australia as well in Brisbane over the next wee while. It'll be great if England and Australia do tour to replace the World Cup that we were due to host next year, which was scheduled for January, February, I think, or February, March. So we're hoping to get a tri-series between England and Australia and New Zealand down on these shores. So those three nations looking pretty good. The West Indies, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka and Ireland are all looking okay, but there's not a lot of information around uh, what's going on with their cricket or there's some uncertainty with what's happening with women's cricket in those countries. Obviously, West Indies touring England at the moment and the success of the CPL for men, I think, will stand them in good stead in being able to host uh, women's tournaments and, and I hope that we can get some cricket um, in the Caribbean for the women. The T20 Challenge in India. Now, this was announced to great fanfare a couple of months ago, but there's been really nothing that's happened on that tournament since then, nothing to follow up on. So I think that's got some people quite concerned about what's going to happen with that tournament and whether it's going to ha go ahead, what formats it in. Um, it was the, clashing with the BBL, right? Yeah, it was clashing with the Women's Big Bash League, and 
since it was announced, there's been no, no real further detail uh, provided on that tournament. So there's a lack of clarity for players in India and also Sri Lanka as well who wanted to go to that tournament that they're not really got enough detail. Uh, so let's hope that that can go ahead and also the tour to Australia will go ahead as well. That will give those Indian women players some certainty around their financial future. Um, in terms of you know cricket in Pakistan and Sri Lanka, we don't really know a lot about the situation in those countries, although the PCB remained pretty hopeful of staging more cricket. Um, certainly the PCB had their Pakistan Super League recently for men, I think. Uh, so there's hope that they can get some, some cricket going on. But the ones that are really struggling are, are South Africa and Bangladesh. And we touched on South Africa's uh, administrative situation last week in This Week in Cricket. And it's really no surprise that their game's in turmoil, quite frankly. Uh, we covered it last week. They missed out on tours uh, with Australia and and England, which would have been huge for them. Um, individual athletes have exemptions to leave the country and enter the country in South Africa, but not teams. So that means that some women who've got WBBL contracts can go and earn money playing WBBL but the ones who are playing domestic cricket have absolutely no certainty on what's going on there. And there's a lack of certainty in general around cricket in South Africa. And it's the same case in Bangladesh. There's no domestic cricket going on there for women at the moment, or men, I believe. Um, and so lots of their players have been hit hard financially, although the Bangladesh Cricket Board has been um, providing supplement uh, financial, financial supplements to those players and assistance, as many as they can, but they can't cover everyone, right? So mm. it's unlikely that they're going to play again this year. And Ireland are playing some domestic cricket, but they're really looking forward to the World Cup qualifiers, which hopefully will be in Sri Lanka next year. And, and a lot of those, not the top three nations, but a lot of those nations can get some cricket under their belt. So a little bit murky in different parts of the world in the women's game. And thank you for bearing with me while I run through all of that. Mate, that's an awesomely comprehensive overview. And look, I think one of the things that I picked out of that, you mentioned that the English situation, the girls there have been in the bubble for a little while leading up to that. Who would have thought this with Britain's actual government response to COVID that we'd have got, I think, 17 games of international cricket played by this stage of the season. Still the vitality blast final to come as late as October. This England women's series um, going on now as well. It's real kudos to the to the ECB and to the people that have toured as well. I don't think we can underestimate yeah, West absolutely. Indies, Pakistan and Australia actually getting on um, a plane, particularly, you know, Australia's situation a lot better from a, a health um, and political perspective. So Bordy's very comprehensive women's cricket overview leads us to Australia, New Zealand. They've got a little bubble of sorts going on in Allen Border Field, some T20s and ODIs coming up. We've seen a whole bunch of different ways to utilise a different fan experience in sport. I was watching some NBA. Those videos are just weird. We've mm. had the piped-in crowd noise at the NRL. We've had the Lords hum on the PA in England. But, Lippy, you've got to tell us about this uh, This no shouting, no spreading COVID through a, you know, a little bit of Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Um, and first off, you know, obviously go the White Ferns, uh, obviously over there in, in Australia, hoping to to take on, take down the world champs. Uh, three T20s, three ODIs coming up very soon. But yeah, Allen Borderfield, the three T20s, I believe, are, are completely sold out, but that is 50% capacity. Uh, yeah, ODIs are, have been well supported as well, may well also be uh, sold out by the time we, we read this. But yeah, people are being encouraged to go and watch the games, bring your masks, sit uh, two cricket bat lengths apart. So that's, you know, 1.5 metres. Short handle or long handle? Well, yeah, don't know, don't know. I don't know how long your bat is, but... Uh, yeah, let's not go there. 
<laughs> well, I think we'll, I think we'll leave that in just as an embarrassing lipshaw moment. But you carry on now. Uh, but uh, yeah, no no physical interaction with players, and yeah, basically just being told try and keep the cheering to a minimum because you know that's all the, the idea is to to limit the spread as much as possible. Well, I've certainly never been interested in the length of Lippy's bat. What do you think about that, Baldy? There is some scientific basis. Not to, his bat, obviously. There is some scientific basis to what they're saying, but it, it does smack of an increasing amount of fun police at, at cricket venues around Australia of late, uh, having attended a couple of test matches in one day as over the last few years when I've been back to Australia. It has been a, very much a case of, you know, keep quiet, please. Someone's trying to have fun. But shut, the, shut the bar at lunchtime at the SCG once, that, I remember. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. But to be fair, it is great that we're going to have crowds back in that game and, and that Allen Borderfield will have 50% capacity is a fantastic thing for women's cricket. And I hope that everyone gets to enjoy it. Maybe there'll be more families there. Um, that would be that would be good for cricket, but it's just fantastic to be able to get crowds and let's hope that that and the WBBL is well supported. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's the same, you know, I guess that's what... Hopefully we're leading towards in Australia and in New Zealand that hopefully for the summer coming up, you know, New Zealand, Binksy mentioned it in the intro, Auckland down, now down to level two. The domestic season is starting to take shape in New Zealand. Hopefully we're going to have more of our black caps involved in that and then these biosecure series, hopefully we will get some fans and, and some engagement there. Yeah, I think word of the sort of trans-Tasman bubble, they're saying probably it's not going to be a, a real go until after the cricket season. We're talking about March, April, but mm. things are changing so quickly. And as we've said many, many times, none of us are epidemiologists, so we'll probably stick to what we know a little bit about, albeit not, we're not experts cricket rather than COVID. We want to talk bubbles though, don't we? Bio bubbles, but really interesting article featuring Justin Langer talking about that. Um, on quick info. Lippy, I'll come to you first for, for, for your take. Oh, I guess all, all I really want to say is um, I think we, we're hoping to talk to a bit more of an expert at the weekend about this in more detail. But I mean, I think it, we've, and we've touched on a little bit, it's going to be really hard to, it's hard not to underestimate how much this is taking out of all of these players. Like you think, you know, I think at some point you mentioned to me that Joe Root was a, a away for 310 days of the year last year just playing normal cricket. You think if those kind of schedules are, are what we want now anyway, and or even anywhere near approaching that, if they're doing that in another bubble, it's it's going to be even more tricky. And, and I, you know, there's all sorts of other things that come from that, whether it's mental health, whether it's the pressure on their performance, whether it's, yeah, all sorts of different things. Yeah, well, we're hoping to talk to a former guest of the show, Dr. Jamie Barker, um, who's going to give us a little bit of an insight into, I guess, the mental health and well-being and preparation that players are able to to do in those bubbles. But Justin Langer's emphasised that some of the Aussie team might have been in a bubble or be in a bubble for 173 days. Consecutive days, Without, yeah, without yeah. seeing their families, which I guess when you go back to cricket in the 19 even 1970s and 80s, you know, an Ashes tour would have started in October and gone on until, you know, January, February. But even that, you know, is not that amount of days. So that that is absolutely an insane amount of time. Um, and I think as well, back then you, pro you didn't have all those other pressures around social media and other components. You know, you were to an extent able to kind of get on with your, uh, your life in, in the... Um, the, the downtime, but now the scrutiny on these guys is just sensational, and this can't, yeah, can't, can't be a good thing and a sustainable thing long term. 
It was interesting. I, I saw that article as well. It was interesting. Justin Langer there talking about talking about resting players. Steve Smith, if he has to miss a game, if uh, you know Pat Cummins needs to miss a game, then then they just do. They they look at resting them when they need them, not necessarily just for their physical fitness, but for their mental mental fitness, which I think is a, an interesting step forward. He cited uh, Glenn Maxwell as as the uh, you know premier example of the last sort of twelve months where he took a step back from cricket so it's an interesting new world that we sort of live in uh with this this cricket and the the covid bubble yes Pinksy? yeah look, I, I guess i got one thing on that as well that the aussies are actually really well represented in the ipl from a playing perspective but also from a coaching perspective so you've got ricky ponting who spent a lot of time with the national side recently so i think from a pastoral care perspective the the circuit kind of knows that, that you know these guys are under that pressure in the international bubble moving into the IPL the big difference to the IPL is the families are there as well so teams have taken over entire hotels they're allowed to have their you know their families there um obviously they're potentially going to be worried about you know safety and health of their families but at least you know they get to spend some time with them um in those environments um but it's i think it's really key and and really actually interesting and good for the game that some of that best coaching talent from around the world is in the IPL as well as the players because they provide that really, really good conduit between the the national boards and the, and the players that are travelling into those environments, you know, almost ad infinitum. Yeah, and, and another thing that was in that, that article that I saw, uh, Baldy, you might be able to help me out here, uh, Langer was talking about how the schedule hadn't been announced yet because they weren't sure of how the bubbles were going to work. Has there been any, prog been any progress around the scheduling? Not that I'm aware of. The Big Bash is the only thing that has really been locked in stone in terms of the start and end dates, but I think a lot of the end of the India tour is, is still to be decided. Uh, the real one that is going to be something to look for is what's going to happen with the Boxing Day Test match because if they're in a bubble... For Boxing Day, it means they're not going to be able to spend Christmas Day with their family, which mm. is what they normally do in Melbourne. All the all the team travel together. Their families get together in the hotel and and on Christmas Day and have a barbecue and you know Christmas tree and and all the rest of it. So all of that detail is yet to be confirmed. It's all up in the air, but it's going to have, I think, a pretty big toll on the mental health of some of those players, particularly not being able to leave their national side if they're not playing and go and play for their state and then come back and play for their for their national side as well. We saw that in England, you know, guys like David Willey were able to go back to the to the bubble at some point, but some of them were and some of them weren't. So it's, it's going to be, um, remains to be seen how much domestic cricket those guys will be able to play and that feeds into the conversation we had around Channel 7 last week. Surely, surely they'll still be able to have the Christmas dinner as long as they're not cheering? <laughs> I assume so. Well, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> that was good. I liked that. That was a cracker. <laughs> that just about wraps up this section of the Top Order Pod. We will be back to talk all things Indian Premier League coming up after the swish. Welcome back to the podcast. So we're going to talk some Indian Premier League. Before we get into some of the detail of this, we are going to be getting some extra content into your feed by way of some chat in the IPL week. So we're not going to come to you daily by any means, but we will be covering the key runners, riders, our fantasy league, and some shout outs to some of our fans that are in the league playing against the Top Order podcast. Not a lot to beat from me. I didn't even know you needed to change your captains regularly until about 20 minutes ago. So I've learned some fantasy league basics from the man to beat, in my opinion, 
Raj ready. He's got an algorithm. He's got a spreadsheet. He's got all kinds of stuff. And Rainman Baldy over here with his stats as well. He is another one um, to watch. But you don't need to worry about the BBB, which is the Binksy's Ball Bashers. Um, so that's my team in the Premier uh, Indian Premier League Fantasy League on Dream 11. You can still sign up. So take a look at our Facebook feed if you want to have a little look at that. What we are going to cover in our weekly pods, though, is just some of the themes that are going on in the IPL. So it's in Abu Dhabi, Sharjah and Dubai, as we all know. Second time it's been held um, there, um, at least part of the tournament. Um, we've got pitches, we've got dew, we've got an umpiring calamity, I think is the best way to describe it, and a host of other things. So how are our overseas picks uh, shaping up? Who am I coming to first? Who wants to... Well, why don't we talk about the umpiring thing first? I mean, I feel like, yeah, I mean, does anyone feel strongly about this being a deciding moment of the game? Obviously, uh, you know, it's a mistake. Maybe we should cover that first in the sense that should it be, should the third umpire be getting involved here? I can answer that question really, really quickly. So there's nothing in the laws of cricket. That Mate, we've say, only recorded 25 minutes on this pod. We, we need to go into intrinsic detail on this. <laughs> okay. you, you cover it in as much detail as you like. Okay, Seven cool. minutes, off you go. <laughs> right, here we go. So the, the laws of cricket don't provide for anything in terms of review. So all of the all of the laws around reviews, the use of the third umpire and DRS are all around the playing conditions for the particular series or tournament that we're talking about. And in the IPL, the playing conditions are really, really clear that the only time that a third umpire or a TV umpire can get involved is front foot no balls, the whether or not a boundary has been scored by crossing the rope, um, or whether or not a player is dismissed. So there's no avenue in the playing conditions as they're, as they're written right now for the IPL for the third umpire or a TV umpire to adjudicate on one short, on that particular issue. But so should they be able to? Should they be able to? I think they should, absolutely. I think there is room in the playing conditions for that to be the case. If an umpire is unsure, then they could refer that particular piece of evidence. Is it, uh, is it not like the ball just going over the rope, you know, someone touching the rope? Isn't that the exact same it, thing? It is exactly the same thing. It is an oversight, in my opinion, it is an oversight in the playing conditions of the IPL that they just have not covered that particular base, that particular decision-making process in the in the playing conditions. I don't think it's in any of the other playing conditions, not that I've read them all, but I wouldn't expect it to be in the other playing conditions as well. And it should be. After the World Cup, we should have learnt our lesson that these things need to be thought through and need to be in the playing conditions. It's, it's an interesting one because all ICC and World Cricket, however you want to look at it, have kind of made a rod for their own back with looking at the front foot no balls and, and things like that. You can't do one and not do the other. Mm. I mean, me personally, I'm not a massive fan of technology, which is... Uh, in in sport, which is <laughs> which is not a, not a popular view, you know. Definitely looking at the NRL and uh, NBA, all these other sports, that how they use their technology, I think could be paired back, and it would be a better product. Uh, but the world we live in at the moment, everything's got to be sort of perfect. And if we're going towards that, why do we even need an umpire in the first place? That's the thing, isn't it? You you watch this and you see everything else being scrutinised so carefully, and then like something like this happens, and you go oh, we all know that that was the wrong decision. Why haven't you just told someone that it was the wrong decision? To an extent, though, and you hear the argument quite a lot with LBW decisions that, you know, Hawkeye has got a predictive pathway. So it is a predictive pathway. When you're looking at tennis and the use of Hawkeye, mm. that is where the ball lands. It is either in or out. It's a line decision. Um, I think to Raj's point, when you've got that front foot no ball, which is essentially... The third umpire 
owning that line until the ball comes into play and is a fair delivery or not, why would he not? And he owns that line for run out and stumping decisions. Mm -hmm. Why would he not own that line for anything to do with that line, which is going to be one short um, as well? And there's no reason that an umpire couldn't refer potentially to the third umpire if he, if he suspects that there's been a one short. I mean, he should be watching the line anyway um, as part of his job at square leg. And I do have to address the elephant in the room. When you look at the, when you look at the footage and when people have been commenting on social media, lots of people point out, oh, but the umpire's not standing on square. He's standing in the wrong spot. He should be standing exactly square. He can't stand exactly square because that's where the camera is. So he has to stand off off centre. He can't mm. stand exactly in line with the crease because there has to be two run-out cameras, one on either side of the wicket, directly down the line so that they can see the run-out for exactly the purpose that you're talking about. Um, yeah. So let's address that. Well, they, they all stand just behind because you can actually get a better view of the line and the batsman's foot for a stumping decision, for example, when you are slightly behind as well. You get obscured um, on occasions as well. What, so he what was is, on the other side. Oh, he was on the he, other side. Yeah, he was, he, so he wasn't... He wasn't between the pop increase and the stumps. He was on oh, the other side. Other side as yeah, opposed side. to his um, longitude or latitude yes. is, is <laughs> what you're, um, you're talking about. But yeah, look, I, I guess the one thing I'd probably slightly disagree with you on is, and you're going to, I know the question you're going to ask me back, but I, I think that these guys have got quite a lot going on. You know, you, we go back and I don't want to necessarily go back to that World Cup and when the ball hit Stokes' bat and, and all those kind of things and had they crossed and had they not crossed and was the ball live and all this kind of jazz. But the bottom line is they've got a hell of a lot. I certainly don't think that they should be looking for a no ball um, because I think the time it takes for you to focus your eyes on the crease, then look up to, you know, see the ball at 160 kilometres an hour and get an LB right down the other end is almost impossible. And then similarly, when the ball is in a run-out situation, you know, he's watching a number of other, you know, other things around the game, making sure he's in the right position, making sure he gets out of the way of a throw potentially. So I don't see why there's even a necessity to refer that kind of stuff. It's just a guy in the box watching the line. If he thinks it's close, he pulls up the replay, zooms in on it. And by the time the next ball is bowled, They've rectified whether it was a no ball, whether it was one short, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. My, my argument to that, and it's a why do we need technology argument, is we've done it for 150 years without having to refer to that. Why is it now not acceptable for that to, that to be the case? Well, because you used to have a five-year-old boy sweep your chimney. We don't, <laughs> we don't do that anymore either. So I'm happy you said chimney, eh? <laughs> Um, yeah, look, I, I, oh man, I'm English and I'm a traditionalist, but I, I, yeah, I can't, you know, I can't agree to that. But when there's an, an obvious opportunity to get something right and make the game better, um, and avoid this type of petty com controversy, mm. um, and we've not even come on to whether or not it was a game defining moment yet, but, um, yeah, I, I think you, you, for those real simple things, absolutely use it. I, I, I don't know the answer to the question around LBs and court behinds, but the guys do get a lot of those right. And I, and I think that, you know, we've talked about the review system a hell of a lot. I don't think it should be the, in the hands of the players. I think it should be down um, to the umpires. And, and if they get the odd one wrong, then they're judged on that, just like a player's judged on getting the odd one wrong as well. That, that's the beauty of the game. But these basic things that are line decisions that can be yes or no and binary, 
let's just take the guesswork out of it. And I agree that that's how you get the best umpires. They are, they go and they make the decision. And if they're wrong, they're not umpiring that game anymore going forward. <clears throat> that's somewhat left the game. So this fella who made the mistake is actually part of the ICC panel. He replaced Nigel Long for this year. Mm. I was surprised by that. Mm. Um, he'd been umpiring for three Nigel, years. Nigel Short, you mean? <laughs> he's been umpiring for three years because he's just finished playing first-class cricket in India. Yeah. So I find that interesting in itself. Mm. Do we have the cream of the crop who are doing that job? But back to your point around whether they could have sent that up, Baldy, sent that up to you know check if he had gone over the line. It just it just takes the energy out of the game stopping something and going back and looking at something, even if it's for 30 seconds, the whole rate of play is part of the part of the product. And if you take that out, like, for example, you talk about the World Cup final, if they had to go back and check a front foot no ball on that last ball where, the, the you know, and then the last ball of that super over, that just takes the energy completely out of the celebrations that mm. were there. You know what I mean? And that, that's why I just think it makes it an, infer an inferior product. And on, so moving on to whether, you know, it, whether it defined the game, one run, obviously in a super over situation, on the surface it feels like it does. My personal view is that kind of stuff is is just sort of a silly argument. Like you, there's a butterfly effect in all of this stuff, right? We talk about this. You mentioned the Stokes. It pains me to bring it up, but since you did, you know, they they put him down the other end, and Rashid's on strike. Everyone, so everyone in New Zealand goes, oh well, Rashid wouldn't have done that, and you know we would have won that game. You have absolutely no idea what Rashid would have done. And fielding positions are different. The way you, you know, the way the bowler bowls, the pressure on the batsman is different. Every single thing changes when the decision is made. So, yes, it's an unfortunate thing that happened. And yes, I agree. It you should just get, you know, you want to get those things right. But I, I can't, I can't sort of get behind the fact that you go, oh well, that cost us the game. You know, we're really hard done by here. Yeah, and you bring the rugby analogy into that. The referee has the discretion how long to play an advantage for. Um, and, you know, he's, you know, advantage, advantage, advantage over. And there's going to be a fan somewhere that says, hold on, we've got to go back one phase. Mm. So yeah, you're never, ever going to get that, um, you know, that butterfly effect thing right. And for all the Kings Eleven Punjab fans out there who will feel aggrieved that they lost a match, that, that they lost by a run and they were, they were one run short... They also needed one off three yeah. and couldn't get the job done. They also lost two wickets in the super over and meant that Delhi only needed three for the super over. So, yes, they did lose the game, but it was entirely within their power to win. They had three balls to score a run and couldn't. They had a super over to, in which to win the game and they didn't perform as well as the opposition in that particular scenario. So, yes, they can feel aggrieved. Kings Eleven have already lodged a, um, lodged a protest over the result with mm. the with the tournament organisers, and we're yet to see what happens with Nothing. that. But and, and I don't think anything should happen, and nor yeah. should it. This sort of thing happens all the time in sport and life. It's not always a level playing field. Control the controllables, and you have to do that exactly. We did we did get to see uh, because of that super over the fantastic uh, occurrence of uh, Nicholas Puran getting a, a pair in uh, in a twenty twenty game. <laughs> Which is, I think I saw it, it has happened once before, but that's, that's just tremendous. He's in my fantasy team. Yeah. <laughs> He's the Rabada owners would have been uh, filthy that it, the Super Over doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, fantasy. yeah. I mean, we've gone to fantasy. Baldy, have we learned anything from these first few games? Have we learned anything about fantasy so far? There's value to be... There's value Nicholas Pora. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. There's there's value to be found, but particularly in these early games, it's a bit of a crapshoot. Uh, you've got to make sure you pick your captain every day and, and pay attention to what the schedule's doing. So, 
for tonight's game, CSK, they play twice in the next four days and I think three times in seven days. So it pays to pay attention to the upcoming schedule, not just tonight's match in terms of making your transfers. But it's a lottery. I mean, I had Virat Kohli and Rashid Khan. I thought they were surefire things. One of them to come off. I had vice-captain and captain. Nothing doing there. Um, people who picked Johnny Bairstow would have been would have been ecstatic that yeah. he had 99 points. Rajan, yeah. I was bumping you. Um, I had Bairstow as well. Uh, so, so you know, as captain, I think. I no, didn't... you had him as vice captain. I oh, did. I fair enough. Pump the brakes. <laughs> but, but there's plenty of value to be found. So there are players who are returning 10, 10 fantasy points for every credit you spend on them. Guys like Glenn Maxwell, and I think there was another Aussie in there as well that that had quiet games. And Nicholas Perrin had a pair, and I had him in my side. So um, a bit of a crapshoot at the moment, but um, there'll be there'll be plenty more that we learn after about a week, week and a half in this tournament. Uh, I think it's going to be. It's the nature of T20 cricket, isn't it? That that's that's what happens with all these guys, the big name players. But it's such a you know quick game that yeah, it's particularly the batsmen and even the bowlers. You know, we've seen Boomerah get you know taken to Chris Jordan, who's normally one of the best death bowlers in the world, comes in and just bowls an absolute garbage over to to Stoyanis and and tears him apart. I mean, cr- cricket's like a that, but that that's cricket, isn't it? You're going to mm. have far many more bad days than you have good days you, you only need to look at a set of averages to figure that out you're going to fail more times than you succeed bowlers are going to go the distance you know more often than they're going to you know close out a, a, you know a, a, an under 10 in a, in a final over sort of situation in this kind of game mm. so yeah it's kind of fascinating to, to to try and predict who's going to have that form i guess yeah and the thing that's actually really got me ripping my hair out is the um you read all the previews and you, you you pick your players and then all of a sudden they don't even play. <laughs> and because the game starts at you know two a.m. for us, we can't exactly wait up and, and do it just before the toss. But that makes it tricky for this really, part of the world, doesn't yeah. it? And I mean, and in particularly, it's the international players, isn't it? That I I think we you know we mentioned it a lot in our IPL preview episodes. It's it's because a lot of these teams have they don't just have four good four good overseas players. They have five or six you know really strong overseas players that are competing for four spots you think that you know what you know you think you know what you would do mm. but you know then the other the the other team or the captain or something has a different uh, different set of circumstances yeah well Imran Imran Tahir didn't play the first game for CSK so mm. it, it is a bit of a not quite a lottery but it does pay attention to who's going to be playing in those international spots and if you can get some clarity on that it really helps Having seen those first three games, do we think we kind of are getting a sense for what players will be most valuable in this tournament from an overseas perspective? Look, to an extent, I think I want to talk a little bit about the conditions before you answer that question. Mm. So we're obviously playing these games across three stadiums. It's a pretty decent length tournament, 60 days, the final on the 10th of November. The, The deck seems to have a little bit more grass on them than you would normally see in that part of the world. I can only think that is either A, to get some pace into them um, and B, to keep them together for a little bit longer. So I wonder whether or not, you know, your value picks early doors from a bowling perspective might be your seamers. And then later in the tournament, when they do start to break up, the chicken dinners come into it a bit more. I definitely think, definitely from the start of the tournament perspective, the bowlers are actually being a little bit more valuable. You see these batsmen who haven't played cricket for a while, or the ones who have, like Johnny Bairstow, who exploded, uh, just struggling a little bit. But mm. um, yeah, 
I think we'll find the pitches really slow down towards the end. The other thing that a couple of players have mentioned is that the dew on the surface of the wicket, particularly from that game last night, um, is affecting the spin bowlers, making it harder for them to, to grip the ball. It gets a bit greasy in those dewy conditions, making it harder for them to get purchase on the ball. Uh, Chahal's spell 3 for 18 last night, Oof. notwithstanding. Um, excellent spell of bowling. But How good was that, Rongan? That was, that was superb. Well, I think that was a good wicket. Yeah. The other two batsmen gave their wickets away at inopportune times and really cost their side the opportunity to win that game. Yeah, yeah. The 8 for 32 collapse to, to, to you know, be all out 150, being 120 for two notwithstanding. Bairstow's dismissal trying to chase a big six in the last over to get dismissed in that way, mm. put his side on the back foot, and then they fell apart Looked after that. Looked really ugly. Beautiful dip, though, from Chahal on that delivery. It was a really good delivery, but it was the wrong shot at the wrong <laughs> time. You can't, you can't give that to Bairstow. I know that there is you know, situational awareness and stuff like that, but if he hits that for four or it goes for a single, no one's even talking about it, and it's what get, got him to that point. Yeah, that's, that's the that's the risk-reward life, yeah. isn't it? You know, you, you've got to take the good with the isn't bad. Isn't that what everyone said about McCullum? Well... I mean, honestly, we talked about that Sunrisers Hyderabad. That's going to be a big issue for them because they've got all those guys up front, and that middle order, that middle to lower order, is is the issue for them. We, you know, they're going to have to perform. We mentioned Pandy; he performed to a degree, mm. got them in a position to win with Bearstow, and then you know the the guys coming in just they couldn't did do fall it. away a bit. Yeah, the, I think they were. I was reading the the report on that match that we're just talking about now. Mm. Sunrisers, they you said they're 120 for two. They were 80 percent to win or something like that on the win vis. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and just fell apart. And, the, and they fell apart. They're actually 76%. They should have been 82%, but because of the, <laughs> the middle order thing, sorry, I'm going into full stats mode and I'm going to shut up now. Well, that's not helpful because someone was trying to get a train of thought for the, the next the next comment. Carry on, Baldy. Go on, give us give us some more stats. <laughs> stop it. No, well, I, I think the, the interesting part for me is the, the fact that there's 160 has been a winning score. You know, we thought, it, when we were talking about it early on, that would be because it would be these slow and low wickets, but we've actually seen it almost the reverse. As you mentioned, guys like Shami Rabada being really, really successful. Lungi and Gidi were successful and, as yeah, well. Yeah, Gidi, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. South Africans are good. Yeah. yeah. South Africans doing really well off no cricket as yeah. well, which is the which is the strange thing. You know, obviously the Aussies and Englishmen have probably got get a little bit of form and, uh, you know, a little bit of acclimatisation. And that's probably the other thing is it's, warm yeah. it is 40 40 plus degrees and mm. the humidity is through the roof at this time of the year in that part of the world so yeah i don't know who that who that benefits really well and yeah who does who does a 160 game being a winning score benefit do you think it's it benefits these teams with explosive batsmen where all you need is really one to get going and you've suddenly got 160 or or does it benefit your attack where you've got really good set of bowlers and, you know, you've got, I sort of think of the New Zealand team, the way the New Zealand team played in that uh, World Cup, one day World Cup that we've just seen, where we kind of just had a solid team and we would, if it was the 400 World Cup that everyone was kind of talking about, I don't think we would have gone anywhere near that 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 final. We sort of had the team that could play to the conditions and scrape out a win. Well, I remember Raj talking about this when we talked about that 2019 World Cup and mm. said that one of the things he really liked about it was it wasn't a 350 plays 350 World Cup. You'd got some of those 240, 250 games in there. Look, I guess it's one of those things. There's occasions when you're going to want to see it be an absolute shirt front and someone like a A.B. de Villiers, a Coley, a Chris Gale and Andre Russell just absolutely nail everything. But then the flip side is 
Baldy and, and you were going to want to see the odd dust ball where it just goes past the outside edge and through the gate and spin and drift and revs and all those things that spinners say in their sleep. And then from a seeming perspective as well, you're going to occasionally want to see the ball decking around and, and you know, carrying through to the keeper head high as well. So beauty of the game, isn't it? And I think the low, slightly lower scoring games keep some of the lesser quality sides in the contest. Um, if it's a big scoring game, then the teams that have got more talent will more likely win that game but lower scoring games tends to bridge that gap and bring the 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 you know not quite so talented teams closer together so are we likely to see more upsets does it mean that a, a team that's less heralded less fancied has one good performance that can see them get over the line only time will tell but i suspect that lower scoring scoring games will mean closer games um I think I think it'll be interesting. There's heaps of different tactics going on as well. So I so I read this thing where Rashid Khan was talking about bowling more dot balls, not necessarily looking for those wickets, but bowling dot balls and, and the wickets will come. Is that as is that as probable when the scores are lower? Probably not. You had an instance there when Virat Kohli came to the crease in RCB last night and they completely slowed down the run rate just to preserve wickets and it probably actually to an extent backfired for them because they were a bit low for that sort of wicket that they were on historically mm. but they managed to pull it out with their bowling and, and you see they were actually a bit low when they were in when um sunrises, sunrises were, yeah. were in that position so they only needed 40 off 40 off six overs is infinitely doable in in a modern t20 but game right that, that shows that that's a reaction almost to what you're saying there Stu. that 160 is a good score we just need to hold we just need to hold this pace and hold some wickets in hand mm. and go at the end and who knows what's going to happen one thing's for sure, in terms of our picks from our IPL preview show, I'm struggling a little bit with KKR and Rajasthan Royals right down the bottom of the table at the moment. Granted, they haven't played a game, um, but not boding, not boding well for my picks at this very well, we're going early to stage. With our, uh, I think we the, the three teams that have won, we we tipped them to all be playoff teams at this stage. So I think we're you know, we're, we're going all right We've there. Started well, yeah. Um, I've got a I've got a guy to watch, um, Devdut Pandekar, who played last night. Yeah, impressive. In, very impressive. I'll just read it. I'm going to ignore his stats. <laughs> no, Baldy, come on. Come <laughs> read his stats. How, can you, his how stats. can you ignore his stats? <laughs> okay. it's, not, it's against your nature. Okay, it's against my nature. However, <laughs> in all of his list A, so first class, you know, long form game, um, first class list A and T20 debuts, scored 50 in or 50 plus in all of his debuts across all formats. He scored 56 last night in his IPL debut. Mm. And now after 13 T20s, he has an average of 63 and a strike rate of 170. Jeez. Unbelievable start to his career. India have found another superstar in the making. Uh, so Devdut Padakal, you've heard the name here first on the Top Water podcast. Write it down in your little black notebook. Uh, you probably heard it when you were watching the game last night. Possibly. But, <laughs> uh, but, but remember the name. He's going to be superb. He's only... 20 years old, born July 7th, 2000. So he's going to be potentially another superstar for India moving forward. And it's players like that. I mean, we talked about RCB. They've got all these sort of big names. If someone like that can come in and be a real contributor throughout the tournament, it's someone like that that's going to put those sides over the edge, isn't it? Exactly. It's a massive key, isn't it? If you can get that unknown or that relatively unknown Indian player coming through and performing really well, it gives you those options around your overseas players. It means one of your big guys can be injured um, and, you know, come back later in the tournament. So, um, and interesting that Felipe kept wicket for the challenges as well. So, mm. Um, all that hype about De Villiers um, with his keeping gear in his bag uh, didn't uh, <laughs> didn't actually didn't happen. transpire. And just another one to watch tonight in the Rajasthan game is Yashavsvi Jaiswal. So he's 18 and 
he's played a few first-class games. So he's played 13 list day games with a high score of 203. So he, he is one to watch and, and one I've been reliably informed I should have in my team. So... <laughs> Yeah, he's one to watch tonight as well. Well, we might get an opportunity to uncover some players like that. There's been a few injuries, actually, in the first three games. R. Ashwin has gone down, although he said on his uh, Twitter account that he's looking hopeful that Scan's come back mm. and that he's feeling okay. Mitchell Marsh went down last night with looks like a pretty severe ankle injury. Could rule him out for the rest of the tournament. Kane Williamson has a has a thigh strain at the moment as well. So mm. lots of those marquee players have got, uh, have been injured in the first couple of games. So it might be, it might come down to a tournament of attrition and these young guys being forced to step up um, and perform maybe you know above expectations. And I I guess just changing tack a little bit back to the batting and things. If anyone hasn't seen, you know, we talked about how they're lower scores perhaps, but if if anyone hasn't seen, uh, there's been some incredible sixes hit so far, particularly uh, Shiraz Iyer yesterday. Those ones that he hit, boy, oh boy, they, they were just so clean. We talked about him as a, you know, I, I loved watching him bat. I've, every single time I've seen him bat, I just think, wow, this guy is, is amazing. And, yeah, the way he was hitting those balls yesterday, fantastic. Mm. And what are they called this year, sixes? Are they DLF oh, maximums? Yeah. Or? Just no, maximums. no, 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 they're the... Oh, Geez, I, I forget the name. There is a term for a, a, a six year. It's unfortunate. It's like the un. It, it is the un something. Do we care? <laughs> are we are we going to go back and edit this uh, out, or are we just going to go? Everyone who cares what this is, but there is there is pretty much when you go to the IPL website and you look at the highlights and bits and pieces, and and you it's actually really useful. You can go and look at you know various bits and various in, individual performances. And, and you look at the after-match chats, there's about 15 uh, players that get awarded with some sort of sponsors thing. There's, yeah, the, there's, a, there's a motorbike, a Segway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a dinner for two at the... Uh... There's the power player, there's the man in the match, there's the yeah the, the biggest six-hitter, there's the, I don't know, yeah, all sorts of absolute rubbish. Just get as many sponsors as you can in there. It was like that when they were here as well, remember, yeah, at the yeah. after-match? I think it's the Unacademy. Unacademy, there you go, yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. Finally. Unacademy well, six. I'm glad they got maximum. a plug. That's yeah. a bit of a bit, bit of a mouthful. <laughs> well, I think that that's a natural point to to end the podcast as we, yet again, t- uh, turn off uh, many multiple million dollar sponsors for the Top Order podcast by giving them a, a well, bit. We just of, gave Unacademy a huge plug. They should be surely. We should the Unacademy. So yeah, um, please us. feel free to get in touch the Top Order podcast <laughs> at gmail dot com or on any of our social media sites. As we said, we will be back in your feed with some IPL chat news views um, and who knows, maybe even the odd um, interview if we can muster it during the course of the tournament in between our regular podcasts. We've also got some great guests lined up in the very near future as well. So look out um, in your feed for that. Certainly in terms of the IPL, I can't remember being this excited about uh, an instance of the IPL for a long, long time. I don't know whether it's because we've got a cricket podcast now or whether... It's just we're starved of live sport around the world. But if you do want to dig back into some of our back catalogue, we would much appreciate it. Um, you'll definitely get some IPL-related content in there as well with the likes of Shane Bond and James Pamant in the feed. If your gravy is Red Bull cricket, you can listen to interviews with some greats of the game like Graham Thorpe and Barry Richards, all via our website, www.thetoporderpodcast.com. It's been great to chat in the same room again out of Auckland lockdown again, guys. And we'll be back in your feed 
during the course of the next week or so. Thanks for listening. 